Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Good morning. It's Tuesday, September the 17th, 2019. I'm Orla Carmody in for Michael Reed all this week and next. And thank you for your company on today's programme. The latest on the farmers, early results from the Mead Commuter Survey. And there's still time to take part if you haven't done so yet. Anti-social behaviour on trains. Will we see a dedicated transport police force? A way to save money on your mortgage and an overview of the Dáil term about to commence and what we can expect there. But first, we dodged a bullet. Loud County Council voted yesterday not to increase the property tax, which is good news for homeowners and those liable to pay the tax, but not so good news perhaps for the council itself, which could have used extra funding to improve lighting, roads, repairs to social housing and so on. It sounds like the councillors were between a rock and a hard place on this particular one and here to tell us more is Councillor P.O. Smith from Labour, Councillor Emma Coffey, Fianna Fáil and Councillor Ray O'Muraku from Sinn Féin and you're all very welcome. Can I start with you, um, Councillor Smith, as a Labour politician, um, obviously you, I'm sure, thought long and hard before looking for an increase in the, in the first place, which would probably be unpopular. Why did you actually look for it in the first instance? Yeah, well, you're right, Ola. I mean, I could have just sat there and said nothing like uh, the other councillors who who uh, voted for it. But uh, the reality is that if you look at where the council gets their income from, uh, like goods and services, uh, rates, uh, local property tax, government grants, etc., they are the same and they haven't increased uh, since 2013 over the last six years. But the demands on on the council have actually increased significantly. So, for example, our insurance costs have gone through the roof, both in terms of premiums and terms of payouts. Uh, there are other demands in terms of match funding. So we are a lead, lead council for homeless services, but we have to prop 400000 every year in order to get money from the government to provide uh, for the homeless people in the county and for families. Similarly with uh, housing adaptation grants for all the people, they've tri- tripled, tripled nearly in the last six years. And I'm not disputing any of that. I'm quite sure the, the pressure on budget is always, always very, very tough. Mm. But this, I think, a, a property tax, would it's so emotive. I mm. mean, it was risk. You're playing with fire looking for an increase, I believe, yeah, personally, well, and maybe well, others would agree question. with me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I'm playing with fire and, and other politicians are playing with fire when they go to actually ask people to contribute towards the cost of uh, making the county a better place and making the towns and the villages a better place. That's true. But, I mean, this isn't... I'm a politician. 
And it isn't about me getting elected. If people don't like the vision I'm putting forward, they don't have to vote for me. It's about making society a better place. If it becomes purely about me saying to people what they want to hear, in order for me to keep getting elected, to keep putting my hand out, to keep getting paid uh, every year, then I shouldn't be in the game. OK, and bringing you in now, Councillor Emma Coffey, you voted as well, or you indeed were in favour of mm-hmm. this originally. Again, just tell me why. Well, I was involved in, in a very fractious budget process, uh, particularly last year, where we literally passed a budget one hour before the deadline. Um, and we had to, we were faced with a very difficult situation where we were faced with a number of cuts. Um, we had a housing maintenance budget that wasn't going to fulfil the needs this year. And we also were basically our match funding. We were, we had to cut it. Uh, and this year, if there wasn't an increase, we're going to be faced with difficult decisions at that budget time. And I would be of the same view as uh, Councillor Smith here that there's we were elected uh, and we were elected to do a job and represent the people. It is a motive, local property tax, but it is the only income that the council can actually maintain at the moment. Uh, at the moment, because central government funding has not been increased to local government. I wanted to actually ask you about that since specifically. 2014. I understand that. Was the intention of the property tax, though, to repair a local housing stock? Surely that comes from a central budget. It, this is this is the difficulty we have, and Pio touched on it at the moment. There is increased costs that are happening year on year. Pio mentioned um, uh, insurances. There's also costs. Building costs have now increased. Tendering processes have now increased. We've actually had to cancel tendered, um, re-tender uh, contracts because the tendering went beyond our budget. And that would be the capital and the building. The capital, but and the, the actual maintenance. You you have to understand how difficult that would be for people. I mean, I believe there would be uproar if you ask people struggling to pay their own mortgages and to keep their own houses maintained to contribute to a fund that's going to actually repair housing stock. We might we mightn't dispute it being used mm-hmm. for lighting and roads and amenities, but I think that one would be very troublesome. Well, I would actually disagree. I'm not saying that 100% of that increase will go on housing stock. I don't believe that that's fair. I believe that the people who are paying the LPT need to benefit of it. And that's why we apportioned when we made the proposals, we apportioned that some, uh, I stated 40%, uh, PO's proposal was 50% to housing maintenance, voids and, and accessibility grants. Um, we have a homeless crisis. Everyone in the last election that I canvassed at the doors, I said, what are the issues? Everyone was concerned with the homeless crisis and the housing crisis. We have approximately 70 empty houses in this county that at present are empty and, and clearly need to be refurbished, refurbished or whatever. Exactly. I'd like to bring you in, Councillor Rory Morico, and I called you Rory. It's Rory, my apologies. <laughs> um, may I say, um, you, been called you, worse. you've been called worse. Good indeed. You you voted to basically to maintain the status quo. You didn't want to see an increase, but you didn't want to. Tell me what you did. Well, we. For the last two years, I have proposed a 15% reduction. Like We accept the council is in a particularly bad place. I don't think anyone will be shocked that Sinn Féin is completely opposed to the local property tax. So you actually looked for a reduction in it previously? We had looked a reduction in it previously. But we accept what, um, what Pio and Emma are saying. We accept what the chief executive is saying in relation to underfunding from central, from central government, which is the big problem. Like... like and there's, and in fairness, um, we just need to ensure uh, 
we need to ensure that the message goes that there's insufficient money. It's 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 straightforward. Um, at the end and of the day, Loud County Council is on the hook for um, land banks that it was told to buy during the boom, and we're still paying in around let's say a million. Uh, this year, that's what we're looking and at. And the paying. value of those land banks is probably a fraction of what it was. Of course, it's a fraction of what it was. But at the end of the day, that money has already been spent. But we are on the hook for it. We and need central government to basically get us off the hook. But and see that, that like oh, what PO and Emma were proposing at the end was ten percent, which is just under a million. So we're talking about that would only literally cover that figure, for example. But given so, that you yeah. were already in straightened financial circumstances, then how could you have possibly balanced the books with a reduction in the property tax? Don't mind the status quo. Oh yeah, no, that obviously creates a difficulty. But the thing is, we are voted in as Sinn Fein, as as Sinn Fein members, as Sinn Fein councillors. We are completely opposed to this property tax. We also think there is an element of this was a fly move when this 15% was introduced, that councils would be able to put it up and down. Now, there needs to be a real conversation in around paying for local government, and all parties need to be involved in that, and that needs to happen away from this, and probably away from a heated debate in a council chamber or in the doll chamber. Because, we, we, like, I accept there are new difficulties, you know, that... Uh, councils are are encumbering but also there's a like PO and Emma both spoke about insurance costs like that's that's a real problem the government needs to deal with like we all know as individuals we are getting hammered we know that there's businesses that are nearly going out of business on the basis of the premiums they're paying so Loud County Council is a victim of that also but that that is something that needs to happen Back to you um, Councillor Pio Smith now you're, you're describing and all of you are describing a kind of a loaves and fishes scenario here which I, I sympathise with but tell me about this uh, the, 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 in terms of balancing the budget going forward if you can't do the things you are now trying to do and you did mention that there was an element of leveraging if you had got some income you could then leverage it and get more tell me a bit about that Okay so just to clarify one point that you made earlier on the vast 650,000 550,000 of the proposed million was going to go towards towns uh, not going towards social housing so it was 450 towards social housing in terms of leveraging so for example if we want to uh, repair social housing and bring voids into play uh, in order for us to get money from the government, we have to prop money. So 100,000 would get us 400,000. So if we were putting 450,000... Where would the other balance come from? It comes from the state. So okay. the state would give us 400,000 if you if raise prop 100,000. Locally, I understand. Okay, so then the other aspects then in terms of the municipal districts, they were going to receive but roughly 200,000 euros each. So you could go, we could go to Loud Leader, for example, and under a di- number of different headings, they have funding there. So we could actually fund local groups such as the Tidy Towns. The Tidy Towns could then apply uh, to Loud Leader, say, for example, to create biodiversity packs, cycle lanes, uh, across the social inclusion projects, uh, projects in relation to job creation. And Loud Leader would provide 75% of the funding. So we could actually leverage the 200,000. And have you forfeited that leader funding, forfeited that central purse funding now because you haven't come up with the local funding? Yeah, well, if you can't pour up uh, the 25% that you need to get the 75% from, from the government uh, and from Loud Leader, then you lose it. And similarly, one of the big things we have in Drod is a tourism and a heritage. So you know, we need at least €25,000 a year spent on the town walls. We could have went to Loud Leader uh, under the Heritage and Cultural Scheme. We could have applied 25000 again, to some of the civic groups. The civic groups could then apply and get 75% funding. So we could be spending €100,000 a year for the next five years. This is a million euro Dundalk and Drogheda would be getting uh, in a five-year period, but would be leveraged up 
So it could be 1.6 million, and that would make a hell of a difference. So it wasn't just going to social housing. It, an awful lot of this money was going into the communities in the towns. Our town centres are dying, and we were going to do something constructive with that money mm-hmm. in order to get people back into the town centres and to secure employment that is already in the town centres. Do you believe, Emma Coffey, that we have to educate people more around this, that it's a, sh- a short-term gain is not a long-term gain, and that if we took the pain in the short term, we would actually benefit the town so much more? Well, I, th- I think the reality of it is, as you said, Local property tax is an emotive subject for a lot of people uh, and they feel that they've already, they're already buying into that system or paying into that system. Why should they pay any more? The reality of it is, is that when we go out as councillors and, and they say, for instance, I mentioned, PO mentioned one thing, there's a biodiversity park that would dearly love to be up and running, ID location down by the Navi Bank in uh, Dundalk it ca- we cannot get funding because the council cannot pr- support it and it's projects like that that would benefit the community at large um, that we do need to educate people but I think it's, it's, it's our system our system is broke uh, because we rely on central government funding our local authorities are not financed by themselves and we this is a, a short term problem but we're also creating a long term problem because a lot of the income is relied on rental income from our social housing. We don't have social housing anymore in the sense of in the ownership of our councils. We have it in uh, housing authorities or housing charities, which is going to create have pressure long term for us. So this is something now where, where we're going to be facing cuts at our library services, cuts in our cultural services, cuts, cuts in our you know programmes that we do within the community because we have to balance the books. OK, Councillor Rory O'Moraku, um, you've heard all of this and you understand it well. Without this kind of funding, that we're looking at here. How do we do the things we're talking about? How, what do you say to your constituency, your constituents about providing these kind of amenities if there isn't the money to do it? Well, first of all, we made a promise to our constituents that we wouldn't be involved in any increase in relation to the local property tax. So that's something we... You have, have to stick to that so come hell or high water. Yeah, no, no, that's it. We have to fulfil that. We have, we've all said there is a problem in relation to the funding of local authorities and this wasn't going to sort it. Like, I've already spoken about the land banks. We have, like, there's basically an insufficient methodology across this state in relation to dealing with housing maintenance. The reason an awful lot of um, local authorities go for approved housing bodies and whatever is because the method, with it's easier for them to draw down funding. It's longer term. It means that these houses are not exactly being maintained by local authorities. And that these bodies, like be it Cluid or Tua or whatever, actually have a greater amount of money with which to do maintenance. Like the problem with an awful lot of the maintenance costs of houses in Dundalk and Drogheda, it's the age of them. It's that repairs haven't been done over the years and you're constantly paying catch up. Like we need a huge injection of funding if we're to get serious. And we really need those land banks and all those other issues dealt with. It's as simple as that. And that's probably another another day's work. But in this in the short term, you have actually forfeited the money, some of the money that could have gone towards that very work you're talking about because of the way the vote, the vote has gone. Yeah, well, the, we, we've already said we were completely committed to not implementing any increases in the local property tax. That's that's the way it is. Beyond that, we have to look. Despite at the fact that you're 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 yes, you know, and, and not yeah, now going to get this money that could have made an actual difference in the short term. Well, 
that that's the way it is at this point in time. We obviously have to lobby central government in relation to dealing with some of these other problems. I have already been talking to Imelda Munster. I will be talking to Gerry Adams in relation to anything we can possibly do from a point of view of putting you know leverage and pressure on the government. Because there's some specific asks here that the government really needs uh, to live up to its obligations. And then, like I said earlier, we do need to have a more full conversation in relation to funding local government. All right, and that we will try to uh, accommodate here on LMFM uh, in in time to come. Councillor Emma Coffey, Councillor uh, P.O. Smith and Councillor Rory Murlaku, thank you for joining us today. We will welcome, as always, your texts and your comments. We love to hear from you. You can text us on 086 1800 658 or call us on 1850 We'll take a break. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now at the time coming up to 25 minutes to 10, we're cont- continuing our coverage of the beef crisis. We have been hearing about job losses this morning, potential impact on the ploughing. Well, a meeting took place last night at Dawn Meets in Slane, organised by the Beef Plan Movement. And joining us now with an update on the situation for beef farmers is co-founder of Beef Plan, Eamon Curley. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning, Orla. Now, I know there's a lot happening nationally and we'll, we'll get to that if we've time, but I'd like to find out, first of all, what happened here locally? What was sort of the main message that came from your meeting last night? Well, the beef plan went uh, over last night to meet the independent farmers at, um, at the protest site uh, in Down Meats and Slane. And there was about 150 farmers there. And um, What was the mood like? The mood was one of, uh, I suppose, disappointment and anger. Uh, that would be the best way to describe it. Um, basically, they the, the, the had an opportunity to read the agreement that was reached. And I think last night was an opportunity for the farmers to, to give their opinion on the agreement and to see, in their opinion, was the agreement uh, good enough and uh, would the agreement be enough, basically, to, to get them off the picket lines uh, and back onto their farms. And I, I suppose what, what the farmers felt was that the, the, the main issues that they wanted movement on, there wasn't enough movement on them. The, the, the number one issue was the base price for, for cattle. And th- th- there was no, uh, as a result, there was nothing in the agreement on base price. Eamon, we've heard that um, the price achieved was somewhere in the region of 3.50 per kilo and that you guys are up around €4 Euro per kilo. Is that right? Are those the margins? And do you think there was more there on the table to be got in the agreement? Do you feel that, apart from the fact that you need more and we know the price is too low, but was it there to be got? Was there any sense, do you feel, left in the room on, in the day of the major negotiations that there was more to be got? Well, I suppose the amazing thing is that uh, price wasn't discussed at the meeting. And, and from the outset, the minister said that they couldn't discuss price. Now, because of the competition regulations, etc. Yes. But like, I can't think of any other group of people where an, an industrial dispute takes place that, that uh, the basically income of the... Um, the income of the group can't be discussed. Like, like to me, it, it, it was a talk set up to fail. The, the number one item that, that needed to be addressed 
was the base price uh, and that wasn't discussed. And there was commentary on the base price after the meeting from various sides but as part of the official section of the meeting there was absolutely no discussion of price is that what you're saying? It, that's right yeah and uh, like that's what farmers want but, but there is an opportunity now for like the factory owners uh, can certainly discuss price you know uh, and they can discuss price with the farmers on the picket lines. And you feel they will in in a spirit of trying to get this uh, to move along and in the spirit of the agreement, do you think the factory owners will actually offer an improvement? Well, I, I think they're going to have to. And um, uh, do I think they will? They, they, well, I know there was a, f- a few of the factories yesterday trying to negotiate with some of the people on the on the picket lines, uh, and initially there was talk of the base price and trying to increase it. But I, I think last night we, we heard that uh, those offers of increased base price had been withdrawn for some reason, uh, and we, we sensed a more hardened attitude. Um, so it doesn't look good out there at the moment. Do you feel farmers are taking the brunt of the blame for everything that's gone on? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the attitude of the minister is he's trying to put farmer against farmer. Uh, and, like, there's some uh, factory o- owners saying that there's uh, a sort of a militant um, a group of people out of these factory sites. Now, now I, I was there last night in Slay, and, and, like, there are 150 genuine beef farmers with, um, who are being expected to work... Um, and the production costs not being met, like they're losing at, at the price of three fifty or three forty five, they're losing one hundred and fifty or two hundred euro a head uh, compared to this time last year. Uh, and like, why people can't see that that's not going to work is is beyond me. One hundred and fifty euro per per animal. That's per what animal, you, you yes. think you're down in a year. Yeah, yeah. That that's very hard to sustain uh, when you're and trying like to make a livelihood. An industry where, where the last year they would have been making maybe. Um, very tight margins, you know, and an industry where for the last 10 years uh, that ha- has been very poor Eamon Curley, as return on income. This is a multi-million euro business and obviously there's high stakes here for the government, for, for EU, for the post-Brexit fallout. What do you see personally as the way forward as Beef Plan, as the people you represent? Yeah, well, it's, it's a €3 billion euro industry. That's what it is. There's 80,000 farmers um, directly involved in producing beef. There's every farmer supposed to support five jobs in the local economy. So, so you're talking about over a quarter million uh, people directly employed in this industry. And I think I think the factories number one. I think they have another. Um, they can certainly increase their base price. Um, Somewhere and between where it is and four euro a kilo. And what do you see now, Eamon, uh, for your members uh, this evening? What will happen later today? What's the next move for you? Well, just as regards the solutions, first of all, just to finish, uh, like I think at this stage the government hasn't really addressed the problem. So, so like if the factories can't cough up more money, I, I think the government and the, and the EU need to get their heads together and come up with some sort of support that's going to support this base price. I also think that there's a role for legislation, and I believe one of the TDs, Padder Tobin, 
is going to bring forward, um, he's going to try and get a bill put in there for minimum pricing uh, of farm produce, including beef. All right, Eamon Kerr, we'll have to leave it there. We'll be keeping a close watch on this space to see how things shape up for the farming community and we'll be bringing you regular updates here on LMFM. That was Eamon Curley, the co-founder of the Beef Plan Movement. Now, Garthi and uh, PSNI, there's a joint search underway in Omeath, County Louth, for Saoirse Smith, a young woman who disappeared over two years ago. It's believed she was murdered and the Forest and Woodland search now underway is by specialist forensic archaeologists and special search dogs. It follows a search a couple of months ago of a house in Omeath in the belief that Saoirse, who went missing in Belfast in April 2017, may have returned to the house where she had been living in Esmore cottages in Omeath. And joining us now is Stephen Breen, the crime editor with the Irish Sun. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. I was wondering, reading your story, and you go into a lot of detail about Saoirse and you speak to her grandmother, Stephen, but I was wondering why this particular case uh, didn't perhaps get the publicity. You also spoke to Deirdre Jacob's father, and we all know, everybody in the country knows who Deirdre Jacob was. Why did Saoirse's uh, possible murder, disappearance, why did it fall under the radar to an extent? Yeah, that's a question we were asking ourselves in the newsroom as well. You know, because normally when you do have a young woman who goes missing, and then when you do have, in this occasion, it's the PSNI are the lead investigators. She disappeared uh, from Belfast in April uh, 2017, and it was only last year uh, when uh, the PSNI uh, uh, um, re-classified their investigation as a murder investigation. So here you have um, an investigation being conducted on both sides of the border. You have the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation uh, being involved, uh, local guardy as well, cross-border investigation in the, trying to establish what happened here. And then you have it confirmed uh, as a murder investigation, but it just didn't generate uh, the, the same sort of interest as other cases uh, in, in Dublin here and indeed elsewhere. Maybe you, have a, Dublin you, has. you have here a, a beautiful young woman, Saoirse Smith, 28 years old. She goes missing mm-hmm. in Belfast. She had been living in Omeath. Uh, yeah. what, what has been, what has been, what do, what do you know about the circumstances of her, her disappearance suddenly on that night in April 2017? Yeah, well, she, 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 yeah, she was someone who was known um, to, to the, the PSNI. She, she did disappear in April. Her family had no contact with her for, for a number of days. A, a missing person's appeal was launched as the months went by. There was still no contact um, from Saoirse, which was quite unusual, um, according to her family. And then uh, you have uh, the PSNI saying that it is a murder investigation. And the suspicion is that you know she did have connections to the Omeeze area. She did have connections to people who were involved in criminality, and namely the drugs trade operating on both sides of the border. So the suspicion is, and there are a number of theories that the, both the PSNI and the Guardi look at, is that she did fall foul of a criminal um, a crime gang. Um, so you're a, a saying it gang. could have been somebody she knew, or at least that's what they're thinking. It could have been something, it could have been a crime or a drug involvement. Mm. And maybe that's why there wasn't the same, um, there wasn't the same concentration on it at the time, do you think? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a possibility um, that because there was a, an element of, of criminality uh, involved here in terms of the, the people that uh, Saoirse was associating with. But, you know, the, the reality is you, we do have a, a young woman who's missing here. Uh, Pace and I believe that she was murdered. You have a family uh, at home in Belfast. You have relatives. You have her, her grandmother, Vera. 
even in an interview um, just last year saying that, you know, uh, for her and the family at the moment, it's not about justice. It's just about getting Saoirse back to give her a Christian burial. So that is the hope. We're talking about a, a family here who are in turmoil and who just want answers uh, to a, a young woman who's, who's now disappeared. Um, you quote the grandmother as saying she was a beautiful and kind girl. I don't know why anyone would want to kill her. Um, it's just very sad that there there is a grandmother uh, struggling to understand what happened, isn't it? Yeah, well, Saoirse lost her, her mother a number of years ago. Um, she passed away uh, when Saoirse was younger um, and her grandmother Vera would have looked after her. Uh, when she was growing up, but you know, she was someone, or seriously, was seen as someone who was perhaps vulnerable, someone who was easily manipulated, easily led. You know, did have problems in in the past, uh, addiction problems, and has now um, was staying with her her grandmother, and um, did get involved. It seems with the wrong crowd, and, and obviously, she was very close to her grandmother, uh, and the grandmother is just determined and has just been left traumatized by the fact. There's been no sign of her, and with the PSNI confirming that it is now a murder investigation, the focus for her and other family members is, is to bring her home. And that search, you know, Meath is ongoing. Is it a door-to-door search? They're looking at woodlands. They're looking at. They're obviously looking for perhaps remains. They're looking for a shallow grave, perhaps. Yeah, they're looking for a shallow grave, or they're looking and concentrating that the focus of the search is in the Omeed area. Saoirse was known to be staying in Omeed uh, at the time of her disappearance. She had a good connection to the area. She also had connections with people in Uri and also in South Armagh. But the focus is in that area where the search is taking place. And, and the hope is that they, they can find her and bring her back. All right, Stephen Breen, crime editor with the Irish Sun. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully that search will yield some results for Saoirse's uh, worried family. And the Garda Confidential phone line, if anybody has any information, is 1-800-666-111. That's 1-800-666-111, the Garda Confidential phone line, if anybody has any information regarding the disappearance two years ago of Saoirse Smith. Michael Reed on LMFM. Still to come on the programme, anti-social behaviour on trains. Will we see a dedicated transport police force emerging and a possible way to save money on your mortgage? But first, a whopping 90% of people who live in Meath and commute to Dublin are interested in working closer to home. That's one of the early, and it has to be said, incomplete findings of the Meath commuter survey currently underway. And there's still time to take part in it if you're a commuter yourself or you know somebody who is. The idea is that with greater information information on what people want, better planning can be put in place for the long term. And we're joined now by Kevin Stewart, Deputy CEO of Meath County Council. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, good morning, Orla. Now, I know the survey remains open until September the 30th and you want more t- people to take part in it. But the early findings are very interesting. What have you been seeing? Yeah, the early findings are interesting, Orla, I suppose, in a way. It's, in a lot of cases, it's confirming things that we already know or at least suspect it. Um, so far, uh, to the end of the start of this week, about 1,500 people or so have responded. Uh, we would hope to double that uh, by the end of the month, which would give us a very, very good sample of about 3,000 uh, people who are telling us what they do on a daily basis to get to work, what they work at, and whether or not they would uh, be interested in, in moving back to a job in County Mead if one were available. Uh, um, as I say, we have 33,000 people leave the county every day. Uh, most of them are heading into Dublin. 
Um, many of them are doing that by choice and wouldn't be interested in moving, but many of them, particularly if they're commuting a long distance, would be. So what we're finding uh, so far is that um, about half of the Meath commuters who leave the county every day to work uh, say that they're on the road before 7am. Well, I don't think that's a big surprise to anybody. I actually was surprised at seeing that. I would have thought it would have been earlier. I thought you'd have to hit the road at 6 o'clock to get I, into Dublin would, at any reasonable hour. My, I would have thought that myself um, and indeed sort of, I, I think most people would say that that is the case. Uh, but it'll be interesting over the course of the full survey to see if we if we get more information on that. Another quarter leave before about half past seven. Again, I, I would have thought uh, that that's a bit later than we would have anticipated. Um, 80% of them, as I say, work in the greater Dublin area. They have an average commute time of about uh, something just over an hour, about 65 minutes. Uh, thankfully, 85% of people who, who live in Meads that they're very happy where they're living, which is... Good. <laughs> which is well, that's a vote of confidence in the county that's, anyway. That's a good vote of confidence for us in the county. And 90% of them, and I think you mentioned this in your intro, they were interested in working closer to home. They're interested in things like flexible working hours and they're lo- interested in opportunities for remote working. Does, so broad, does broadband feature in the survey at all? Because that obviously is so important in terms of remote working or flexible working. Absolutely. And I suppose, yeah, absolutely. Broadband, I think, is something that is going to feature quite heavily. It hasn't, it's not something that has come to the fore just yet, but I think that it will, and particularly people living in rural areas who are commuting. Um, and that puts a challenge. I think, again, uh, you, you mentioned that this is to inform sort of longer term planning. But what it does for us is it, it focuses us on uh, the development of remote working hubs where rather than the broadband going to people, we can put the broadband in a central area and we can provide very low cost opportunities to people people to work. That's uh, a very interesting point you mentioned there, uh, Kevin, in the sense that people often associate remote working or flexible working with working from home. Mm. But the move now is towards working in your hometown, but actually going to work, going into a hub where you're with other people and there's a more business-like atmosphere than perhaps balancing your laptop on your sofa, on your knee, on your sofa. Absolutely, Ireland. I think, you know, uh, home working suits some, doesn't suit everyone. You know, the dog barks or the postman knocks, rings the doorbell or the neighbour drops in for a cup of tea or you just decide to distract yourself. Um, By putting on a wash or doing one of those mundane <laughs> things. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there is, we, we, we found that there is an interest in, in remote working. And in fact, we have put in a very significant investment into that whole issue of remote working. We have a, a fine uh, tech hub down in Kells where... Uh, I'm very familiar with the tech hub in Kells. And I have to ask you the question, why is it not more busy? It's a beautiful, beautiful centre and it doesn't seem to be as busy as it should be as yet. Well, I think it's early days for it, Orla. I think it, it, you've seen it yourself, I think, and you'll know that there's there's sort of two elements to it. One is a sort of a fixed office, so uh, I call them the glass boxes where people can take office space and actually rent that. Um, all of those offices, I think, with the exception of one, I think at the moment, are full. But yes, the sort of hot desk type remote working is slow to take off, uh, but it's really only since about the, the start of the second quarter of this year that we've been able to push it. That's when we got the, the broadband in and... Uh, um, we're, we're, we were really only good to go on that element. I, I was struck when I visited Kells, uh, the hub myself, that, you know, you have so many facilities there, the theatre, as you say, the hot desks. It's such a wonderful space. And, and I was struck by it not being as busy as it should be. Perhaps yeah. now with the broadband, as you say, that'll that'll correct itself. Well, it will. And I think we, we, we you know, we have a job of work to do in terms of, of marketing, it, marketing it. And we have a job of work to do, I think, in terms of... of of uh, saying to people, look, it's it's only 10 kilometres up the road. We found a very interesting thing in relation to that hub, and that is when we when we advertised it around Navan, 
the, the sense was, well, no, I'd be sort of turning around and going backwards. Now, it, it was a very strange sort of outcome because people were, seemed to be sort of saying, well, no, I'd rather head towards Dublin than turn around. Obviously, and, and, and the focus has been so much towards Dublin. I As you say, so, there's yeah. an education piece in, in making people I, see I think that. I so, and we've, we've a lot of work to do. But look, we're not just focused on Kells. We, we are developing a similar type tech hub with a slightly different focus in Navan. Uh, we are developing the Boyne Valley Food Innovation District in Navan, which will provide opportunities for, for people with skills in that whole area of food and food science. Uh, we're currently doing a, a piece of work in our Dunshockland office where we're providing a small-scale remote working opportunity there. And we're looking at opportunities elsewhere in the county, for example, in Trim and Ratoth. And uh, we're doing this survey in, in conjunction with our colleagues in Kildare County Council. And Kildare County Council, have, you know, they're, they're developing out the a fabulous uh, think space uh, called Merritt's down in, in Nace. So uh, I think a lot of local authorities are focused on this area now. All right, Kevin Stewart, that's uh, some great work being done there to, to ease the commute for people and the results of that survey no doubt will be very, very interesting when it's completed. And as I said, still time to complete that survey www.meath.ie forward slash commuter survey. If you're a commuter get on online and do that and also just to mention that there is a jobs expo called Live or End the Commute and Live, Work and Grow in County Meath and that's coming up on October the 7th in the Arboyne Hotel and it's free and open to all. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now it's that time of the day when we go to your texts and comments and we have producer Marie Kearns joining us as always. Good morning, Marie. Good morning, Orla, and good morning to everybody listening in today. Some response already, as you might expect, to your discussion at the top of the show with local councillors in relation to the local property tax and as with the councillors that were in, there's a difference of opinion. Uh, a a listener says Jacintha was in touch. I wouldn't mind paying property tax if it went to enhancing the the environment where I live, but I resent paying for repairs to houses. That should come out of central government. The councillors need to be lobbying their government TDs on this, says Jacintha. Well, that's the point we were making. It's where the money is is spent is is a big issue indeed. Pat says that uh, he doesn't agree with property tax in the first place and that if we are having property tax, that it should be put back into the area that it's collected from. Isn't that interesting how people want to see how the money is used and spent? Yes. And if it's going to build the walkway or the cycleway outside your door, then you're happy. Yes. Well, another listener is not so happy, says it really bugs me having to pay property tax at all when I worked hard all my life, firstly, to get a deposit from my home and then to pay my mortgage, which I'm still paying. Why should I be paying more tax for services, Orla? I'm already paying tax in my wages every week. I really resent this because I worked so hard to get a house in the first place and I've already paid tax after tax after tax and still doing so. So there you go. Not happy with that. Another listener disappointed in P.O. Smith. Feel that Labour is turning its back on the working class people. We are working hard to pay our bills. Many of us are struggling to pay our mortgage and they want us to pay this property tax. I would have liked to have seen it decreased. Another uh, listener, uh, this comes in from John. John says, I admire P.O. Smith because I don't believe he is a populist politician. It's not always, it's not always easy to make 
the tough decisions but I do believe that he's thinking of the bigger picture and the last one on this for the moment anyway the local property tax Tom says interesting the Sinn Féin didn't propose a decrease to the tax this year is that a shift in position wonders Tom so there you go well very interesting comments as always and as we said at the start of that item we felt the councillors were between a rock and a hard place thanks for joining us Marie Kearns and you'll be back with more comments later hopefully keep them coming text in at 086-1800-658 or call us on 1850-715-958 if you want to comment on the property or any of the other items we have for you this morning. Now, last Friday the 13th, there was a day of spot checks by the Gardaí on commuter trains in an effort to curb anti-social behaviour. However, the day of checks was well advertised, which has led the National Bus and Rail Union to say that was a bit like motorists flashing headlights to warn of a speed van up ahead. Troublemakers probably stayed at home on Friday, but may well have been out and about ever since. And they're looking for the formation of a dedicated transport police unit rather than occasional initiatives, which, although quite welcome, are not enough. And we're joined now by the NBRU General Secretary, Dermot O'Leary. Good morning, Dermot. Good morning, Arla. Now, do you think um, a police transport dedicated unit is a reality? Will we see it? Well, again, look, we, we started a conversation, I suppose, and we, we started or recommenced, I suppose, a campaign for a dedicated Garda public transport unit back in June of last year. Uh, and we did that because uh, year on year, certainly back since 2013, the amount of assaults across the whole public transport system, and not exclusively confined to trains, uh, but buses as well, uh, has reached, I would call, uh, epidemic proportions. And again, look, our experience is always, uh, we rely on our neighbours sometimes for, for, for good, good experience and indeed bad ones. Let's not mention the B word. But in, in, ter- in terms of the, what they have over there, uh, they have a transport police which operates mainly on the railway, uh, which works very well. It doesn't eliminate crime. Uh, one cannot do that. But what it does do, it reduces the type of behaviour that we're witnessing here on a daily basis. The main, uh, I suppose, issues around crime was still obtained. But certainly uh, it works for them. Uh, I'm not a policing expert. Uh, my expertise, uh, for, such as it is in transport, but I want to start the conversation, and I'm appealing to government uh, that the concept uh, of a Garda Public Transport Division is something that may work and should work. Uh, and again, a lot of the behaviour... And, uh, and how would you envisage this working, uh, Dermot? Would you see a well, plain clothes presence on all transport, or would you see sort of spot so checks, or how would you actually see it operating? Quite, yeah. Look, last Friday, and look, the, the, the press release you, you, you called from there, uh, we welcome the fact that it's been highlighted again, this behaviour. But uh, look, there was a bit of tokenism going on there. But my understanding, look, and again... Um, from the from the, the higher echelons of the Gardaí that, that they don't they set their face against the, this type of division but I assume that's based on the fact that they don't want their resources stretched any further than what they're stretched and the, our call to the government is to provide the, 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 the appropriate resources both financial and human in relation to, to uh, beefing up uh, the force to, to allow for that type of division but just so people understand in the UK for example there's a police uh, a special police community officer uh, which is what we know it's Bobby, the Bobby and the Bees if you like uh, and that person, there's about 350 of them across the whole network uh, system in the, in the railway in the UK. Uh, they're supported, again, there's about 5,000 uh, in the whole force. And would uh, they be uh, uniformed uh, police officers? Very much, very much. Very visible. Very, very visible, because that, that's exactly what works. What doesn't work here for us, and it's been demonstrated by assaults on security officers, uh, civilian security doesn't work here. Yes. And again, we had an unfortunate incident back in May where one of the security people in Connolly got a, a very serious assault. And again, look, I'm, I'd, I'd want to just speak exclusively on railways. 
we're talking about buses again and bus hours. And I think the point you're making is well made, Dermot. I mean, everybody we know, every second person has a story of an incident on a bus or a train. And as you say, it is just becoming more. You can't get on a train now without seeing some uh, antisocial behaviour of some type. Unfortunately, and again, whilst the good news story in relation to travel in this country is that uh, I suppose it's at an all-time high across all our transport offerings, it's just unfortunate that uh, and they are rare, but they do stand out. Uh, and people I represent, and indeed passengers themselves, have been victims of assault, both verbal uh, and physical, and indeed uh, the new phenomenon in this country, unfortunately, the racial assaults, which is quite appalling, despicable actually. But in, in terms, and again, the bus, the buses, and I know that there's a high concentration of buses up in around your area, and again, there's been many, many assaults. We had a situation where a bus was practically hijacked between Dublin Airport and Dundalk a number of months ago, and a knife held to a driver's throat. We've had assaults in, in Bosaurus, we've had assaults down in the Thai in County Kildare, we've had them in Cock recently where the driver was shot by a pellet gun by a, a, an individual. I think it's fair to say, um, yeah, I think it's fair to say, Dermot O'Leary, that a lot of the incidents that we would see every day on buses and trains are drink fueled. Does the driver or the conductor or anybody on public transport, do they have any right to prevent somebody coming on if they're clearly under the influence the way airline staff can actually prevent somebody coming on board? Well, part of, the, part of the problem, and particularly in the bus industry, is that uh, our drivers would stop people that they would know to be habitual offenders, whether it be drink drugs or just uh, bad behaviour. And unfortunately, the instruction from the company uh, thereafter is you have to carry that person, you have an obligation to carry that person. So there's no, again, it's like everything else in this country, uh, it's it the cynical me with the there are no consequences for people's actions in relation to either being arrested or prosecuted. And back to the Transport Police or the Garda Public Transport Division, if that force existed, people that engage in some of the behaviour we're witnessing would understand that there is a consequence and they could end up in court and they could end up in jail in actual fact. And, and moment, what, do you, what do you recommend to passengers who see antisocial behaviour? I mean, do people just look the other way and move to another part of the, of the train or bus or is there anything a, a passenger can do in that instance? to try and minimise the, the, the risk. I suppose, or to be fair, look, human nature being what it is, and the society has we've moved on at such a pace now, and I've seen some hor- horrific video clips on the Lewis, for example. I've seen video clips on trains where people were uh, starting cocaine uh, and where people just got on and stayed away. Because, uh, to be honest, and I understand this, people don't want to put themselves in a situation they're going to harm themselves or harm fellow passengers, for example. But what I would appeal to, pa- to, to people listening to this, that travelling public transport, they turn to their politicians. You, you, you had a political item on before I came on. Turn to their politicians of all parties and none to put pressure on the government to understand that there's an epidemic of violence across public transport and it needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed on the basis of uh, resourcing the Gary to, to equip them uh, to deal with both the bus uh, mode and indeed the, the, the train side of it. And in Again, the incident of a, 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 an event, uh, something happening, and somebody phones, uh, you know, there's numbers advertised on the buses and on the trains. What happens when somebody phones up and says there's an incident going on on the, the, the Dublin to Dundalk train? Well, what happens? What's the result? The the problem is a few things. There's a text alert which people can text in these days. A very recent initiative launched by Irish Rail. And again, the companies, all the companies are doing their best, uh, but these are all reactionary measures rather than being proactive. Uh, if you, uh, in the case of, of trains, unfortunately, because of the 
the uh, I suppose the widespread and, and their, their dedicated railway lines. Uh, the Gary cannot, because again of resources issue, cannot react as speedily as a transport police could react, for example. And you have situations where trains are being held in stations waiting for the Gary to arrive, or worse still, uh, the trains go on to the next station carrying uh, an offender along the way, and people have been living in fear for that journey. So it's something more proactive we're looking for rather than being it, reactive. It's a very again, vulnerable position to be in if you are in the middle of a carriage and there's an incident going around, on around you and you can't get away from it. it. It must be a really, really vulnerable position for anybody to find we, themselves in. We, we've, had, we've had some horrific stories. In actual fact, one of uh, my colleagues who works in the office of me told me only just two weeks ago, and I was aware of the, of the issue, an individual that worked a bus here and had to leave the job uh, because he was assaulted and he, he could not face going back behind the wheel. And he ended up in a situation where his family were concerned for his for his mental health more than anything else, and he left a, a, a decent job. Uh, and, and that's not, I mean, that's not in this day and age. And this that's was no a driver who had just possible. suffered some some of these incidents. Absolutely, he was assaulted uh, as, he, as he was driving his bus. That's that's uh, that that's very regrettable and and very regrettable to to hear that somebody would be you know impacted in such a long term way from it. Indeed. And again, look, I suppose our, our members will tell us, and again, uh, we had to, unfortunately, uh, up the ante with bus here in last week, our members said they wouldn't service bus hours unless the security was significantly ramped up following an assault here last Friday week uh, with a bus driver who was uh, loading passengers onto a bus was assaulted by two individuals. And again, there's a lot of hot spots, but I suppose, I suppose that the most frightening thing from a society point of view is that the demographic of these type, this type of behaviour is spread, uh, uh, I suppose, far and wide in terms... Years ago, you could talk about urban centres being the main hotspots. Uh, we've had assaults, as I said, I mentioned it tie. We've had assaults in Castle Bar, Monaghan, Cavan, uh, I suppose, the Cork, as I said earlier, practically the Linton bread of the country, and that's an appalling vista. And again, there are people genuinely go to work in the morning for fear uh, that they're going to be getting assaulted or worse. And again, I've looked at that. I suppose the one last thing I'll say in terms of uh, people listening in and talking to their politicians. I've asked this question many, many times on social media, uh, and I've asked the minister directly, are you, I, 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 both ministers, Ross and Charlie Fanagan at Justice, are they actually waiting for someone to be seriously injured or worse uh, before they, they, they act on, 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 on establishing some type of uh, police presence on public transport? All right, Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union, thank you for joining us today. And thank all we all can that. say is keep reporting anti-social behaviour and stay safe. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Still to come in the programme, possible ways to save on your mortgage and our weekly Garda roundup. But first, the Dáil recess ended today and the new term starts this afternoon for 158 TDs representing 40 constituencies and the 60 senators in the Upper House or Shannon after eight weeks off. Now, it'll be a very busy term with Brexit shenanigans to beat the band, no doubt, and the winter approaching and the impact on hospital trolleys and homelessness and so on. And of course, the farmers, as we've been hearing, still up in arms and moves to get the Northern Assembly going again and lots more. And joining us now to give us some insights on what we can expect in the coming days is Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media and political columnist with the Meath Chronicle. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning to you all. How are you? I'm very good indeed. The, the question I have to ask you is, where would you like to start? There is so much to talk about this morning. <laughs> well, I suppose that I think the, uh, the the one thing to point out is that I'm sure the parliamentarians will have enjoyed a lot of their, their eight or nine or, or ten weeks off. They will certainly have, have needed the rest because it's going to be fairly uh, thick and fast now in the, in the forthcoming weeks. Obviously, I'd say they are uh, bracing themselves, indeed. Uh, I'd say they are because obviously Brexit is, is never going to be too far from the agenda and we suspect that when the doll does get back underway this afternoon with leaders questioned, it will be Brexit and Brexit planning and the, the ambiguity around 
what exactly will constitute border checks and where they're all going to be. But that is almost certainly going to be towards the top and no doubt there'll be other questions too about contemporary issues, not least the, the ongoing dispute involving the, the beef farmers and processors. But the budget is only around the corner. In fact, this day, three weeks, will be budget day. And that, of course, is going to be a really mammoth thing to try and get, get squared between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, given that we now know that it's going to be a no-deal Brexit or that that's how the budget is going to have to be designed, that there will be so little money to go around and that a lot of that money will have to be put towards Brexit planning with none of it for, for income tax cuts or for welfare increases. There'll be an awful lot to get through and that's just in the first three weeks. And after that then, you know, after, after the budget is put to bed, then who knows exactly how long the government will last for. Obviously, Pascal Donoghue was flagging that there last week, talking about the Brexit budget and, and all the contingency plans that have to be put in place, even a, a kind of a worst case scenario. And this morning, uh, it's reported that um, each minister is going to be asked to put emergency plans in place for the first 24 hours after a no-deal Brexit. It's a bit like we're playing catch-up. It's like in the UK, as the Yellowhammer report revealed, they were preparing for no deal all along, but it's like we were sort of hoping and hoping we would have a deal, so we weren't preparing for a no deal. Is is that fair to say? Uh, it, it probably w- would look that way. I'm sure the government would dissent with that, and I think actually a lot of people would think that um, it, it's actually quite alarming that just when you mention Operation Yellowhammer, that the British government would only really be compiling a list of what happens to all these sectors now, about three months before the, the Brexit was actually due to happen, when in fact the Irish government has been quite on top of what the effects of that would be since last year and has already passed emergency legislation to try and get around a lot of that. But I suppose you're right that it would strike a lot of people as being fairly late in the day to try and start planning for what is going to happen in the first 24 hours. I'm sure ministers would say that it's just a case of prioritisation, that they've already known what the long-term effects, the medium-term effects of, of a no-deal Brexit are going to be, but that they really need to get on top of what's going to happen on day one. Like, for example, when you're talking about the Department of Transport, for example, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have realised that EU law was underpinning the idea of there being a direct train service running through County Loud on the way between Dublin and Belfast, the Enterprise. That, because it's a cross-border rail service, that to some degree is underpinned by EU legislation. And if there is no EU law applying in Northern Ireland, then things like that are affected. So the Department of Transport would need to be really on top of its game to understand exactly what the effect, if any, so that would be on day one and whether there needs to and be interestingly, sort of emergency measures. You, yeah, you point out the Dublin-Belfast rail line and it's often said it's the best, one of the best train services in the country because it is so underpinned mm. and is not yeah. suffering the same constraints that the Dublin to Cork line is or whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah, so exactly. So that people, people that just don't realise just how, how deep the, the EU routes have grown. I suppose, actually, by the by, it's probably one of the lessons that the UK has learned in the last three years that they thought a lot of the things that would be unaffected, like their right to, to travel across European airspace, would be completely unaffected. But they didn't realise just how much the EU had subsumed a lot of that kind of independence in the years since they joined up in the 1970s. So uh, to go back to the original point, I suppose that there will be a lot of the cases of, of ministers just trying to figure out whether there is any short-term uh, issues needed. I, I suspect the Department of Transport is actually the one that would be most affected by that because there is the other, uh, you know, when I mention air travel, there is the ongoing concern about whether the likes of, of Ryanair or Lingus would actually be able to travel across British airspace and into the rest of Europe. Now, obviously, there would be a long-winded way of going around past the West Coast and down uh, over Shannon and down towards France as a way of getting to the continent. But other than that, you know, an awful lot of Irish air travel goes over British airspace. Uh, there has been some short-term uh, contingency laws that have been passed to try and make sure that there's no immediate uh, impact to that, that there would still be the ability for Irish planes to, to fly over British airspace. But that is contingent on those airlines being able to prove that they are majority owned within the EU. And that might sound like it's a, a fairly routine thing, but bear in mind, the likes of 
of Aer Lingus and Ryanair are, you know, are publicly traded companies. Ryanair is on the stock exchange. It's not very easy to prove that a majority of your shareholders are resident within the European Union. So it, it's not a matter of routine just to be able to, to, to tick a box and to say that you are allowed to continue flying in European airspace or British airspace. So there's a lot of little things like that that I'm sure will be uh, top of the And that's advice. something so that a lot of people absolutely wouldn't have considered. I mean, you wouldn't think of something like that flying over airspace because you would just assume it would go back to whatever was in place before when Aer Lingus flied over British airspace long before the EU and you would just, but I presume those um, those files have to be dug out. Uh, uh, they're, they're dusty files somewhere. How was this sort of thing handled in the past? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That They'd have to figure out to what degree those things were subsumed. And, and people might remember that uh, a little over a year ago when Leo Varadkar first floated the idea that British planes would not be able to access European airspace, that a lot of the British press ridiculed them. And, and to some degree, they pointed out you know, correctly that there are still other protocols that allow planes to fly into the airspace of other countries as a matter of routine, that you don't need special permission. And while that might be true, it is also the case that European airspace requires you to fulfil certain air safety standards, and those are harmonised across the EU. So although a British plane does still technically have the right to access European airspace if it wants to, it can only do that if it's compliant with European air safety standards, and that's where you know, things fall down. So you might think that there are certain areas in which, you know, the status quo will prevail and that you don't need to undertake last-minute emergency measures. But then, actually, when you look at it, there are still other complications that do need to be ticked, and those are, are precisely the things that Irish civil servants have been tearing their hair out for the last 12 months trying to get to grips with. And, and that's where the day one preparations come in when we're talking about them today. And hopefully a lot of those preparations have been done, as you say, behind the scenes, as, as they have anticipated a lot of mm. this. Obviously, um, speaking of um, our European friends, obviously on the news last night, there was a bit of drama yet again with our friend Boris Johnson and mm. indeed um, the uh, Luxembourg Prime Minister, Xavier Bettel. And he was very strong in his um, comments about his friendship with Ireland and how Ireland will remain in my European family and so on. But obviously he was speaking very specifically about uh, protecting the Good Friday Agreement. And obviously with the Northern Irish Assembly in practically in cold storage for, for the last couple of years, this is this is going to be a priority for government. Yeah, there were a couple of things that I thought were, were fascinating about the, the Xavier Bethel thing. Obviously the, the remarks that he said were very stringent in, in favour of Ireland and maintaining peace on the island. And, you know, people might think, wonder whether the Good Friday Agreement or the Northern Irish border was really that high on the agenda of countries in mainland Europe who, you know, the border is out of sight and frankly out of mind. But it is a reminder that, that Ireland and civil servants and respective Taoiseach and governments have done very well to make sure that it is at the top of the list and that other European governments do understand exactly what is at stake on the island. Um, another thing worth bearing in mind is that Xavier Bethel, uh, in, in a previous time in his life, he learned his English as a summer exchange student in Malahide. So perhaps... Ah, that figures. Now we know. That's very yeah, interesting so, so little detail. Been, so maybe there's been some sort of loyalty to Ireland cultivated over time or that it, it's a country that he has a particular affinity for, even though he's in the centre of Europe and he has plenty of other neighbours that are, that are closer to home. Um, the other thing that I, I thought was remarkable, obviously, a lot of that, that news conference was overshadowed to a point by the fact that Boris Johnson declined to take part, that the British had asked for that press conference to be moved inside so that the protesters couldn't be heard and how the Luxembourgers said there was no venue inside that was big enough for it, so they had to go ahead and that meant that Boris Johnson simply declined to take part. It is worth bearing in mind that Xavier Bettle probably, uh, he's been very vocal uh, on those topics before, it's not the first time that he has said a lot of those things, he probably would have said them to Boris Johnson's face had Boris Johnson been there. So although a lot of the British press this morning are focusing on the idea of Boris Johnson having been humiliated or that Luxembourg was laughing in his face by saying all these things and calling out Brexiteer lies and what have you. 
it probably would have been even more uh, debilitating if Boris Johnson had been standing outside with protesters just outside the gates of, of the, the, the Duchy Palace in Luxembourg and to have Xavier Bethel saying all of these things to his face about how some of the Brexiteer arguments were built on lies and that this wasn't an EU problem, this was a home-baked problem that Boris Johnson was coming to grips with. And it was a shame, really, in some ways, that Boris Johnson's absence overshadowed that, because Xavier Bethel, you can be sure, would have said exactly the same thing to the Prime Minister's face. It's as if uh, Boris Johnson is is running out of rope to an extent. I mean, whatever about uh, slagging him off, uh, but he is running out of rope, it would appear. He's saying the same thing over and over again and it's getting nowhere. Do you have any update on what happened with uh, the Northern Secretary, Julian Smith, yesterday and meeting the Tánishta? Um, Was there any uh, progress there? He said a revived Stormont Assembly could be part of the solution to the Brexit impasse. Was that a move forward? Were there any other details to that that we need to know about? Uh, Nothing that that I can... I advise you of much more than that. It really is kind of tinkering around the edges of whether uh, a storm at lock would work. I think it, it was very interesting, again, just to go back to Luxembourg, where Boris Johnson had also met with Jean-Claude Juncker. Again, the EU side was saying that there hasn't been anything formally put on the table by the UK. But it does seem from the UK side is that they want to hold off on putting anything on the table until relatively late in the day. Now, it's this day uh, next month where European leaders will be getting together for one of those EU summits in Brussels. Basically, that is the last gas, the last ditch saloon where Boris Johnson has to get a deal agreed at that point over the line. And where he has to reveal what he has in mind. He keeps well, saying that he has something up his sleeves and we've, we've seen no sight or sound of it as yeah, yet. Yeah. Now, European leaders will always say that you don't actually negotiate at those summits. You go to those summits just to dot the I's across the T's and to sign whatever's on the paper. And the civil servants they, do the negotiations. Exactly, that they do it all. Actually, the likes of Helen McEntee would go over to what's called a general affairs meeting uh, three days earlier and that they would actually do all the donkey work for the Prime Ministers and Heads of Governments to actually go over and sign afterwards. But nonetheless, of course, it means the time is of the essence. But it seems that the British tactic is not so much to, you know, maybe it is a sham negotiation, but if there is some, some real you know, intent on the British side to get a deal done, that they want to hold off on putting something on paper in front of the EU leaders until relatively late in the day because they do want the EU to feel a little bit more vulnerable. Now, the EU has been fairly calm around all of this. They've said that if a request for an extension comes, that they are more likely to approve it than not. But that the, the British side is still banking on, on Europe, you know, being a little bit uneased at the uncertainty if you get to a summit two weeks before Halloween and there still isn't any guidance on what's going to happen. So Boris Johnson and his team are waiting until the very last minute to try and pull together some sort of a conclusive deal which they think could be tenable to the EU and perhaps then have the EU to be prepared to take the plunge and say this is better than nothing. And Northern Ireland and all of that comes under this window of a deal that might only be put on the table at the last minute. This idea of maybe having a Northern Ireland only backstop, which the DUP would be clearly unhappy with, but perhaps with the DUP mollified by the idea that Stormont would have to approve any measure in which the UK, uh, that Northern Ireland could you know, move away from the rest of Europe. Now, it has to be said, Simon Coveney has been pretty vocal about how that could be problematic before because he says you're basically then giving the Stormont Assembly whenever it comes back to life something of a veto over how the rest of the single market works. That you'd have this territory outside of the EU which in some way is materially controlling exactly how the EU goes about it. Yes, they would be restricted before they even got off the ground as such. Before I let you go, Gavin Riley, the farmers' protests, obviously that will dominate business in the Dáil as well. They will have to deal with it. Will we see any constructive moves, do you think, in, in the short term? I think that all depends on the internal politics, I think, within the farmer sector. And it's been fascinating 
to see exactly where, you know, how the beef plan movement has come to life itself in the last couple of years, possibly because of this perception that the IFA was not pulling its weight keenly enough in that regard. Then you have the, the ICSA on it as well. Now you have this independent farmers movement. And yet some people who were uh, party to the talk still standing outside uh, the various meat processors because they're not happy with the deal that's been put on the table. It's difficult to know exactly what the opposition could do about that when the dog comes back later on. I mean, they, they can't fault Michael Creed for helping to broker a deal where he wasn't negotiating but that he was able to get And they keep the sticking table. on the point of uh, the prices not being negotiable because of the competition restrictions and yet yeah. it's, it's core for the farmers, the price is everything. Yes, yeah, so, so what exactly Michael Creed can do about that really remains to be seen. If there is one thing that he can be asked about when the dog comes back this afternoon, it could be this, this uh, report that you'll have seen this morning on the front page of the Irish Examiner, that a third of farmers believe that the industry would simply not be tenable, that they'd have to simply shut up shop altogether in the event of a no-deal Brexit, not least because of the effects that it would have on beef, but also because of the, the export opportunities that could be lost. Which would impact sheep farmers and other farmers as well, exactly. And, and dairy, and we all know about that, that mythical example of, of milk being pro- collected on one side of the border and processed on the other, and, and trucks that, that snake their way across the boundary time and time again on their way to processing. There's, there's a myriad of things to do there and I suspect that if Michael Creed is asked about anything today, it might not be about what he can do for beef because there's not much at this point he can do. It might be about this, this ongoing question mark about where are these border checks going to be? What are they going to entail? And exactly at what point are they going to kick in in the event of there being a no deal in Halloween in about six weeks' time? All right, Gavin Riley. all we can say is watch this space and no doubt you'll be <laughs> joining us again as the term continues no uh, with, with all the update. Thank you indeed for joining us Thank this you. morning. That's Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media and political correspondent with the Mead Chronicle with all the uh, inside shenanigans expected by our TD as they go back to business um, this afternoon. We'll take a break. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now the time's coming up to 23 minutes to 11 and the average Irish homeowner could be needlessly paying up to €3,380 in extra mortgage repayments per year by not switching lenders, a new report has found. The spread between the highest and lowest interest rates available on the market has now grown to 2.2% or 281 euro per month in terms of repayments for an average private dwelling house mortgage. And here now to tell us more about that is mortgage switching expert Martina Hennessy, who's the managing director of Doddle.ie. Good morning, Martina. Good morning, Orla. How are you? Now, back in the day, back in the day, there used to be a thing called redemption fees. And if you tried to get your mortgage sorted out early because you had some kind of a windfall, they would hit, hit you with a fairly large payment. Is that all gone? Uh, no, Orla, um, redemption fees are still in place or they're, they're called break penalties probably more so now. So that would be the case if you were on a fixed rate and you would have a break penalty if you broke out of that fixed rate early. So I suppose the thing to be mindful of is if you are looking to switch your mortgage to save on interest, you need to be mindful if you're on a fixed rate, if there is indeed a break penalty. And the break penalty relates to the rate you locked in at versus the rate you break out. So if there's a break penalty, your lender will be able to advise you if, if you will incur a penalty if you break out your current mortgage deal. So you very much have to read the small print before you get excited about the thought of switching well, to save yeah, some money. Well, I know, I suppose that the thing is, really, if you were rolling off a fixed rate onto a variable rate, it's to be prepared and to know what the next option for you is in terms of your mortgage. So customers who want a variable rate can absolutely switch their mortgage and that would be loan to value or standard variable rates. We wouldn't recommend that people on cust- or customers on mortgage holders on tracker rates 
would switch their mortgage because tracker rate is such a valuable product. But certainly in terms of variable rates, and there's over 100,000 mortgage holders sitting on loan to value or standard variable rates that could save on their interest. So when you say a loan to value, you mean that where you took out your mortgage a number of years ago, you've paid your repayments, it has decreased somewhat. So now the mortgage repayment or the, the amount, the total amount is less than the value of the house. So there's a bit of a gap there that you can play with. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely, Orla. So the lenders tend to tier their rates by loan to value. So the lower your loan to value, which is your mortgage, divided by the the value of your property. So your loan to value, the lower your loan to value, the lower generally rates uh, rates that you can get on market are. So absolutely. Give me an example of how that might work in an ordinary mortgage. Give me the the numbers there so so we can get our heads around it. Yep. So if you had, if your value of your property was 300,000 and your mortgage amount was 270,000, so the mortgage remaining was 270,000, your loan to value would be 90% final. So there's a a, a gap there, a small gap of 10%. Yes. Exactly. And if your loan to, if your mortgage amount was 240,000 on that same property value of 300,000, your loan to value would be 80%. Because now there's a there's a, a larger gap there in the, in exactly. the difference exactly due to market rate market increases so and, and that is why I suppose currently there's a lot of people who can save by switching because loan to values have dropped because purchase price or property prices have started to increase especially over the last number of years. So what does somebody who is interested now in listening to this and thinking there could be a saving to make what do they need to do? No, absolutely. So Doddle.ie is a mortgage switching service that we have set up. So if you log on to Doddle.ie, so that's D-O-D-D-L dot I-E, you can input your mortgage amount, the expected value of your property, your term, your rate or your repayment and see within two minutes if you can make a saving on your mortgage. If you can, then we're encouraging people to contact us with a team of qualified advisors at hand to walk you through the process and to complete that mortgage switching process. And is there a charge for this? Is there a charge for actually switching your mortgage? uh, We don't charge a fee for our service, Orla. Um, Just uh, in total transparency in terms of how we get paid, we get paid by the mortgage lender you choose to take your mortgage with or the customer chooses to take their mortgage with. So we deal with all of the banks to ensure we have complete spread of of market and we get paid by the lender you choose to take your mortgage with. But the important point, I suppose, is that you get the exact same rates and terms by taking your mortgage via Doddle.ie as by going to the lenders directly. So we're, I suppose, an impartial body and an impartial company that will assist you and walk you through all the steps and take And you'll shop around to see where the best product is for them. Yeah, absolutely. And all of our customers will have different requirements. So people come to us looking for different options. They may be looking for a fixed rate because they're they're uncertain as to the economic climate over the next number of months and years. Or they may be looking for a more short-term option or options to be able to overpay on their mortgage, which is hugely beneficial, especially when rates are low and in the early stages of your mortgage. So we'll have our qualified advisors will have a, a detailed conversation with somebody to see, okay, what's your next move? What's best for you next? And really try and work with that person to see if it's, you know, what lender suits best? What's the next best Now step you've said that um, you get paid obviously directly by the lenders yes. and obviously it's a bit of a swings and roundabout situation because obviously they're paying you when they get some business, but they're losing business on the other side of it, which can't make them happy if they're losing uh, uh, customers to go next door to the, to the alternative provider. And it's a competitive market. And that's, I suppose, the beauty of it. The more people that switch, I suppose, the more discipline that's built into the market in terms of all lenders trying to, you know, make sure their existing customers are looked after. So it's healthy competition. It is. It is. And it's a form of that, Orla. And that's what we're trying to encourage. 
And for somebody who, um, you know, still has um, a, a lot of outgoings, who still has, you know, children at home or college yeah. fees or whatever. I mean, obviously, this could be very attractive, particularly if you're um, in that age category where you've you've paid quite a bit of your mortgage at this stage. There, there could be quite some savings to be made if they shopped around. Absolutely. And our, the, the Doddle.ie index, what we have, have, have compiled is just an index looking at the, the average mortgage amount in, in, drawn down in Ireland at the quarter to 2019, which was just over 240,000. And on that basis, as you've mentioned, the differential between the highest and lowest rate means that there's savings achievable of uh, up to 280 euros, uh, 82 euros a month. And that is a sizable sum. It's 3,380 euros per annum. And the, I suppose the other thing to note is, as well, as Doddle.ie not, not charging a fee, the lenders all have cashback or switcher packages on market and they range between um, 1,615 value right up to 3% cashback. I've so heard those advertised yeah. and I've often wondered how they work. How do you take out a mortgage, agree a repayment and then, then get money back? What does, how yeah, does that work? And again, it's, it's, a, it's a, I suppose, a, an option that the lenders have. So cashbacks came to the market in 2015. So they've been very attractive for a lot of customers, both purchasers or mortgages, both purchases and switchers. So I, I, the thing, I suppose, the important thing is to be aware of, but in, in a lot of cases, the cashback rate can sometimes be higher than you can achieve on market. So we're very clear with our customers in terms of working out, does the cashback make sense for them? Is it a case that, you know, you're going to be, you're going to overall gain, I suppose, by, by in the cashback situation, the cashback uh, roll-off rate after the cashback period is up or after the fixed period is up when you're on cashback is really important. So it's really important to make an informed decision where cashback is applicable because, again, it may not be the lowest rate on market that, that's available if you choose a cashback option. But certainly some people are, uh, I suppose, you know, are attracted by cashback because they have fought so hard to get that mortgage and that deposit um, for that property. And perhaps now is the time they have a little bit of breathing space. They have their mortgage. They're in control of their next move in terms of what's best for them. And cashback can suit in terms of home improvements or just general family expenses, as, as you've said, Orla. Well, I think um, the old line caveat emptor comes to mind. Yes. Buyer beware. Thank you, Martina Hennessy from Doddle.ie for joining us today. And obviously it may pay to switch your mortgage, but um, definitely go and read the small print first. We'll take a break. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, we've had a lot of response to that interview we did earlier on with Kevin Stewart of Meath County Council regarding the commuter survey. If you want to do that survey, it's www.meath.ie forward slash commuter survey and give them all your views on, on how long you spend in the car. And also to remind you again that that Careers Expo is on on the 2nd of October in the Ardboyne Hotel and it's called End the Commute and Live, Work and Grow in County Meath. And that's a free expo open to all on the 2nd of October so get along to that if you can. So now we're joined by Garda Fiona Carr from Navan Garda Station for our usual weekly roundup of what's been going on in our communities. You're very welcome Garda Carr. Thank what you. have you got for us today? Uh, this morning we have a burglary in Longwood so on Wednesday last the 11th of September at approximately 10.30pm at St Finian's National School in Longwood County Meath a burglary occurred. 
So entry was gained into the school by smashing a glass door. Um, they removed a safe from the wall which contained a number of electronic items, namely tablets and laptops. So they were 10-inch Lynx tablets and mini laptops. So as you can imagine, this was a significant loss to the school and the Gardaí are keen to progress this investigation. So if anyone listening this morning has any information that would assist the Gardaí, to please contact Trim Garda Station or as always, if they prefer to use the Garda Confidential Line on one 800 one. And also if anyone has offered or even hears of tablets or laptops being sold at a low price, to be vigilant and to contact the Gardaí. That's, uh, that's something we were covering yesterday. Um, the use of iPads and laptops and things in schools now has increased so much. So obviously it's a, it's a target now for, for burglars to, to target the schools. But hopefully you, you'll get some information on, on those uh, iPads if, as you say, they're offered for sale. That's right. Uh, next, we have a burglary in Navan on Sunday, the 15th of September, just before 8pm at the Steeples in Navan. The homeowner was in her house when she heard a noise in the hall. And when she went out to see what it was, she discovered that her handbag had been taken and the front door had actually been left open. So there are a few things just to take from this incident. Firstly, to always ensure that your doors are closed behind you. Sometimes it can be easy to forget if you're carrying in shopping or children and your hands are full. But also with the evenings getting shorter, it may be an idea to lock the doors once you're inside and some house alarms allow you to set perimeter settings where you can actually move around the house while the alarm is armed. But just to recap on this particular incident in Navan, it happened around 8pm on Sunday evening, the 15th of September, at the Steeples in Navan. And if any listeners this morning were in the vicinity and saw someone or something suspicious to contact the guard at Navan. Great advice there about uh, locking up well when you come in and putting on the park guard and your alarm, because as, as you say, dusk is falling earlier now. So that, that's good advice to, be, to, to remind us of that. That's right. Next, we have another burglary in Castle Bellingham. And that's, this was Wednesday, the 11th of September at 1.20 in the afternoon. Uh, burglary took place at Williamstown, Castle Bellingham. So the alarm was activated in this instance. And when the homeowner returned, she discovered that the house had been gone through and a number of valuable items were taken, in particular jewellery and cash. So if anyone listening was in the area last Wednesday at lunchtime, around 1.20pm, and recalls seeing something that may help the guardie to contact RD Garda Station with the information... And just to remind people that if they hear house alarms going off, in particular in rural areas, that it's no problem contacting the Gardaí. We are happy to go and check out any premises and ensure that all is OK and secure. And some people may feel that this is an, this is an inconvenience, but really it's, it's what we're here for. So don't assume if you hear a burglar alarm that somebody else is dealing with it. If you hear one, maybe make that call or That's check right. it out. Yeah. And another burglary in Carrickmore Cross? That's right. Last Thursday evening, the 12th of September, approximately 7.15pm at Drummond Etra, Carrickmore Cross, a burglary took place here. A copper cylinder and copper piping were taken from a shed. Uh, The door was forced open and the items were taken. As this is a rural area, a vehicle would have been required to transport the stolen copper. So Gardaí are appealing to anyone who's in the vicinity of Drummondetra in Carrickmore Cross last Thursday evening the 12th around 7.15pm. Did you see anyone acting suspiciously or see a car or a van acting suspiciously in the area? The Gardaí in Carrickmore Cross are investigating this. And what would this copper have looked like? Pipes and pieces of... That's right, copper piping builder materials. and uh, copper cylinder. Yes, OK. And then you're going to talk to us about the ploughing. That's right. Just for people travelling to the National Ploughing Championships to follow the purple route as they turn off um, after the M9. So people travelling from the northeast are to follow the purple route and the purple car parks. Uh, there will be a number of car parks covering a huge area, so it's good to know where your car is located when you come out. And also, if possible, it may be a good idea to consider uh, travelling by train as there will be a shuttle bus from Carlo train station to the showgrounds. And also on entering at every gate, there will be wristbands available for children, which will come into use in the event if they get lost. So we urge you to use them and just for everyone travelling to the event to be safe and enjoy. 
Very good indeed. And obviously the, the, the traffic going down to the ploughing is legendary, but it's worth it when you get there, That's isn't right. that it? <laughs> Uh, and finally, just um, to mention the Meath Garda Youth Awards. So applications can still be made to the Meath Garda Youth Awards by getting uh, forms at any Garda station, any participating centre store or by private messaging the Meath Crime Prevention Facebook page. It's a one page form, very easy to complete um, and you can add any extra information you like. And it's also good to note that every nomination will get a certificate, which is great for any young person's CV going forward. So the final date for entries is the 9th of October and completed forms should be sent to either Garda Catherine Cronin, the JLO in Navan Garda Station, or Ashling Connor, the JLO in Ashburn Garda Station. And finally, Orla, just in relation to the Meath Crime Prevention Facebook page, just for listeners to check it out, as there's lots of up-to-date information and crime prevention measures on it. And before we let you go there, Garda Fiona Cara, the Youth Awards, any kind of community contribution? or, or That's right, there are different categories. All the information is on the Meath Prevention Crime Book uh, Facebook page and um, any uh, applications are welcome. And a very nice thing for a young person to do and as you say uh, very useful to have on the CV uh, as a contribution piece or maybe going forward for the Goshka Awards or something like that. Okay Gartha Fiona Carr from Navan Gartha Station Kells thank you very much for joining us today and now we're going back to Marie Cairns our producer with a few more of your comments and texts what you've got for us Marie. Orla we've some more on the local property tax Uh, Cormac got in touch to say we'll be happy to pay more if it led to improvements in the local area the average increase would only be two or three euro a month so wouldn't mind paying that Paul says local property tax how has the council uh, got itself into such a state financially that it's not able to pay for all these services itself is it getting less money uh, led county council from central funding than other local authorities maybe they should look at increasing rents in housing to cover maintenance, says Paul. I don't think that would go down too well, uh, Orla. Fergal Fergal wonders if there's a a breakdown in where the property tax comes from. He says, for example, uh, it should be put on the council website, say uh, how much is collected, say an RD, and then a breakdown of where that money went and how it is spent. He said maybe then people wouldn't mind paying if they knew exactly where it went. And he thinks that's something that should be considered. Uh, so Margaret texts in. So the house tax hasn't gone up since 2013. Well, my husband's wages hasn't gone up since 2004, Orla. Yes, we have to manage with everything a lot. Everything's a lot dearer now than back then. Uh, the house tax is a bill that we didn't have and we're expected to pay it regardless. And she pl- blames the government the wasteful use of money and she mentions the cost of the children's hospital and broadband and she thinks it's all a disgrace. Well, indeed. And it's funny, you know, we we started that item this morning about the property tax by saying, you know, we dodged a bullet in terms of, of homeowners having to, to pay a little bit more. But in actual fact, I think the council probably dodged that bullet because it would have been just remarkably emotive. It's really, it's such a difficult one for people. I, I just think we, and I'm not at all surprised by the reaction we've got here here this morning. Yes, plenty of it. And then just finally, Deirdre listened in with interest to the discussion on the Mead Commuter Survey earlier and she thinks one of the main losses to commuters in Meath was the closure of some of the main lines in the county. If they were reopened, it would make life so much easier for commuters and would help ease traffic congestions on traffic congestion on all roads She's as well. She's probably talking about the Drogheda Navan line and various of the, of the minor rail lines. Indeed, it would be wonderful to see them reopened, but huge budgets. 
Money. That's all we need is money. <laughs> indeed. We could solve all the problems of the world if we had a few more 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 bobs coming in indeed. Well look, as always, we love your welcome your comments and please keep them coming and we'll be back with you tomorrow when you can actually uh, t- text us and, and call into us again with all the items we have on the programme for you. Thank you indeed for your company today. My thanks to Marie Kearns, our producer, Maggie Maguire, Paul McKenna on sound, and we'll see you this time tomorrow or indeed earlier tomorrow at nine fifteen and hope you can join us again. Thank you indeed. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.